Hopefully you have your Bible open to Philippians chapter 3. You have your outline in hand, and uh, you'll notice on the top of your outline, we're calling this what spiritual maturity looks like. And we've been traveling our way through this book, this letter to the Philippian church. Paul's writing to a church that's very near and dear to his heart. And uh, this week and every week, the big question is, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? So I'm going to highlight some things, but there's a lot more that could be said. As we've been sharing each week, as our story picks up, it's 62 AD. If you go to the top of the map on the screen, you go all the way to the, the left, we find that Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He's been a prisoner for the gospel for over four years at this point. It was 11 years earlier as Paul was on a missionary journey. If you go to the middle of the map and you come down, you see Macedonia, and just under that, you see this town called Philippi. 11 years earlier, Paul comes to this town of Philippi, and uh, as he preaches the gospel, a church is established, and then he goes on. And so this church of Philippi have kept in touch with Paul, but they've lost touch over the last couple of years because they didn't, they didn't know where he was as he was moved as a prisoner. And so they found that he is a prisoner in Rome, and so they have sent a, a financial gift to him to help him for literally to move out of the dungeon and into a rented, a rented house. And so Paul begins to write back to them a thank you letter, but in writing back that thank you letter as we come to chapter 3, Paul wants to remind them of some things that are creeping into the church at large. They've not creeped in to the church at Philippi, but he wants to take the opportunity to remind them. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again to you is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So this is going to be a warning. It's protection. And so last week, as we picked up uh, the story last week, we went through the, the first part of the chapter, and Paul was talking about some things that could potentially creep into the church. And one of the things that was creeping into the church at large was that people were beginning to not just trust in their faith in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, they were beginning to look at other things. They were looking at works that they had done. People were coming in and adding rules, rituals, and regulations, and they said you had to keep these in order to be saved. And we talked about how many of us come from a church background where it appeared to be more about the rules, rituals, and regulations that we kept rather than a personal relationship with Jesus. And uh, Paul talked about how he, he had tried sincerity. That didn't work. He had tried to keep the rules. He realized that wasn't the answer. And so we got down to verse 8 last week, and Paul said this. He says, more, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And it was all about knowing Jesus, not in keeping the rules. And he says, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. And we talked about how that word is actually a lot more graphic, so that I might gain Christ. And so Paul has laid out, and we looked at this last week, how it's not about keeping these things to be saved. But then that leads to the question and the other thing that Paul wants to deal with. If it's not about keeping those things in order to be saved, does that mean that we just, does it matter what we do in our bodies or, or with our life? And there were those who were creeping into the church and they were saying, you know, your soul is saved, your soul goes to heaven, but when you die, your body goes into the ground, your body decomposes. 
So they were concluding that it didn't really matter what you did in your body or in this life because your soul was saved. So they even had a mantra, and their mantra was, everything is lawful for me. And so Paul's going to write to counteract that from coming into the church. And Paul's going to talk about what you and I are going to call spiritual maturity. It's not about keeping those things in order to be saved. But when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, our goal, our want-tos change, and there's this desire to then grow and to become everything that God wants us to be. So today we're going to pick it up in verse 12 as it relates to spiritual maturity. I'm going to read verse 12 uh, in our Bibles, and your Bibles say it a little bit different. Each Bible says a little bit different. He says, not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect. And I want you to underline that word perfect, but I press on. You want to underline that word press on so that I may lay hold, I may lay hold of that which was also laid hold of by Christ or which I was laid hold of by Christ. So as we get into this it's important to to uh, highlight something. You want to write this down. Here Paul is going to be speaking about spiritual maturity, not salvation. Uh, his Salvation is secure, it's a given, so he's going to be talking about growing. The word for perfect in our Bibles, there on your outline, teleo, just means to carry through completely, to finish, to complete. So the idea, probably the best description of this is when a baby is born, a baby has all of the parts are right there. And uh, you know, you have all the fingers and the hands and the feet and, and all that. And nobody ever questions their humanity. They are completely human. So from that point, they are complete in that, in that regard. But then the goal is to not become more human, but to mature as a human. So they, they grow. So Paul here is not questioning, uh, he's not saying he's not, a, uh, he's not questioning his Christianity or Christianity. He's saying, I, I'm calling people to mature in that. So that'll be what he's talking about today. So he's going to answer the question for us, as the goal is maturity, spiritual maturity, the question that he's going to answer is what does spiritual maturity look like? So again, Paul's going to highlight some things. I'm not going to elaborate on these things too much. We'll just give some highlights and we'll, we'll travel through. So the first thing that we're going to see, Paul, Paul's going to tell us, and uh, we'll unpack it as we go. And we're going to find that spiritually mature people recognize what God has done for us. And you want to write that down. There is a line in verse 12 that can be translated this way or that way, depending, uh, and different gospel writers and theologians translate it differently based upon what they think Paul is talking about. It's, a, it's, a, it's not an a antagonistic debate. It's just, well, I think he's saying this, and others say, I think he's saying this. I think he's saying both. So we'll look at that. So on, on your outline there, you'll notice the last line of verse 12, Paul says, I press on, and that word dioko there, uh, to make it my own because, and you want to underline the word because, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, when we read it that way, it's commonly held that Paul is saying that I want to press on and become everything that God has for me because I realize what it is that Jesus did for me when he called me. And one of the reasons that they hold that that's what he's talking about is Paul uses a unique word. He says, I press on to make it my own. 
And so Jesus is he's now pressing on to maturity, but before meeting Jesus, he was pressing on to something else. And a few verses before, he uses the same word, and he talks there in verse 6, I put it on your outline, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. It's the same word. You can use it positively or negatively. This way it means this, and the other way it means something completely different. So here, Paul would be saying, because Jesus has released me from all of that, everything that I used to be, all that I was trusting in, all that I was doing, and I've recognized what it is that he's done for me, I'm responding by wanting to become everything I can be for his purpose. I want to grow as much as I can. I would suggest that in our culture, one of the reasons that we don't press on to maturity is because by and large we struggle with what Jesus did and what he had to do for us and what it really took for us to have that relationship with him. I grew up in the church and I can tell you early on I don't know that I really grasped it. It's something that that took place as I grew in the Lord. So Paul recognizes that. So another thing, another way of reading that verse we're going to find that spiritually mature people recognize that we were called for a purpose called for a purpose. So the other way to translate that last line is, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. And the idea is that Paul here, translating it the other way, and I believe they're both true, is that Paul realized that God saved him for a specific reason. There's a specific purpose. The Bible teaches that God has created everything for its own purpose. When you were saved, you weren't just saved so that you could go to heaven. You were saved so that you could live out God's purpose in your life. God's unique purpose is different for each of us, which is why he gives gifts and callings, and the gifts are different with each person. And so that's all there for us to live out that purpose. When when you discover what your gifts are, what your unique purpose, purpose is, all of a sudden your Christian experience becomes an adventure. And it's never a drudgery at that point because you're living out your design. And so Paul realizes that God has called him for a purpose and he wants to live that out. And he says, I strive. Well, verse 13 and 14, I put it on your outline. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, But one thing I do, and underline forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward, and I've underlined that, to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the the prize. And I want you to underline the word of, of, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So there's a couple of things in this verse. First of all, when Paul says, forgetting that which is behind. Most of us have heard that verse taken and we apply it to uh, things like our past, you know, the things that we did early on, how we have to forget those things, we have to release those things. And uh, how many of you ever heard anything like like that? Okay. And and that's true. That's true. It's, It's very hard to go forward in life effectively, you know, to drive forward if your focus is always on your rearview mirror. And that's true. Uh, the, the problem with that, though, in this verse is Paul's not talking about letting go of our past stuff. He's not talking about letting go of the stuff that he did before he was a Christian. 
the context of this verse is growing in spiritual maturity. So what Paul is saying here, and I want you to write this down, is that spiritually mature people do not rest on past spiritual achievements, but realize that growth doesn't end until we go to heaven. So, so Paul says, I'm, I'm not looking at the stuff I did for the Lord before, there's still more ahead. So if, I think you'll agree, if, if anybody had the ability to say, you know, if Paul were to come to us and say, you know, I've, I've gone as far as I want to go spiritually. I mean, I've started churches, I've written a bunch of the Bible, uh, God's used me to heal, I, I've, I've, I'm there, you know, I, I, I've gone as far as I want to go. We would look on him, we'd say, makes sense, you know, you, you've gone on, you know, you've gone as far as, I mean, who can go any further? What Paul is saying is that he doesn't want to rest on what he did spiritually before. He believes that as long as he's in this body, there's still room for growth. There's still more that God wants to do, so he wants to keep going. That's what he's talking about. That makes sense? So I want you to write this down, and then we'll unpack it. Spiritually mature people are willing to leave the comfort zone. And uh, in this verse, in this uh, verses 13 and 14, Paul uses athletic terms, uh, reaching forward, press, goal, prize. And so, so he uses a couple of words. I just want to unpack a little bit. There when he says, uh, reaches forward, reaching forward, I put the Greek word on your outline. I will not try to pronounce it. It just means to stretch uh, forward upon uh, dioko, which also means to pursue or follow. Again, in the negative, it would be persecute. But the, the idea of that word here is that you're running to catch the one who's in front of you. So Paul uses athletic terms, and if you've ever been in any form of athletics, you know that if you're going to win the prize, uh, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone, you're going to have to stretch yourself, you're going to have to push yourself to win the prize. Does that make sense? And um, I, in, when I look at my life, and you tell me if this is true with you, I can't think of any growth in my life that has ever come by me staying in the comfort zone. No matter what it is, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, it's always required me getting out of the place where I was most comfortable. Am I alone in this? I am alone in this. (laughs) Yeah, so we've all been there. So the, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, if the Lord calls me, am I willing to leave my comfort zone uh, to live out his purpose in my life, even if it makes me uncomfortable? Another thing that we find is that spiritually mature people understand that the prize is that Jesus called me. I want you to notice there in that verse, there on your outline, verse 14, he says, I press on. This is a verse that we say, but we never actually stop to see, what are, you, what are you really saying? I press on toward the goal for the prize. The prize, what's the prize? Of, and we underline that word, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you were to look at that from a literal translation, it would say this on your outline. I pursue for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The fact that Jesus called us, that is the prize. Because when we respond to that, it determines where we spend eternity. The prize is the call that God has placed on our life. 
We all know people who, whether God is calling them or not, is debatable, but they have not yet responded to that call. And so they don't have that prize. But the prize, Paul says, I, it's a prize that Jesus would even think to call me, is the, is the idea. Well, verses 15 and 16, he says, let us, let us, and I've underlined the word us, therefore as many as are perfect, some of your Bibles will say mature, we'll talk about that, have this attitude, and if any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. He's trusting the Lord to reveal that if they, they don't have that. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. So a couple of things as we, as we kind of transition to the next part, there on your outline Paul says from the RSV, he says, let those of us who are mature be thus minded. Maturity, he says, has this mindset. That mindset is everything that we just talked about. It has the mindset that, that uh, I realize all that God has done for me, so I want to do everything I can to grow to maturity for him. Uh, I have a purpose, God's given me that, and I want to live that out and accomplish everything that God has. Uh, if I'm mature, I realize that my growth doesn't end until I get to heaven, and, and, and that's the mindset, that's the mindset. The mindset of the spiritually mature, he says, to have is, is I'm willing to leave my comfort zone if God calls me to do that. So he ends that section, but then he comes to the part that I really want to talk about, and it's the part that we need to consider. Now as we get into this part, based upon everything that he's just said, what's important is for us to evaluate where we are. This is not Paul saying, you people, but it's a great opportunity for us to evaluate where we really are in our spiritual walk. So verse 17, Paul's writing to the Philippians and he says, brethren, these are believers, join in following my example and observe those, I've underlined that, who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So Paul has just given them the pattern. It's spiritual maturity. This is what it looks like. That's the pattern. And so he says, you need to look at those who walk in that way. Their word walk, is, they use the word walk in the same way that we do. The word walk there in your outline, uh, the Hebrews would just say to live. So they're living out their faith. And so Paul would say, these are the examples and you want to follow them. So you want to write this down. Some will walk as examples. They're living out their purpose. They're maturing. They're growing. They're not resting on yesterday's spiritual accomplishments. And that's important because we need those examples. And the reason that we need those examples is because of what Paul's going to say in verse 18 and 19. Paul says this. He says, for many, underline that, walk, of whom I often told you, and tell you, and now tell you even weeping, underline the word weeping, that they are enemies of the cross, and I've underlined enemies and cross of Christ Jesus, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So there's a couple of things that we need to talk about as we get into this. First of all, what we're going to find, and you want to write this down as we unpack it, many 
will walk as warnings, refusing to grow. Uh, Paul has in the church those who walk as examples. These will be people in the church who do not walk as examples, but they're warnings. They're warnings. And he uses the word many, and we'll talk about that. First of all, we want to talk about Paul is weeping. You want to write that down? It means to mourn, to weep. And uh, the reason that's important, other, other dictionaries would say it's to weep out loud. It's important to know that what Paul is saying here, he is saying weeping because it's breaking his heart, because he understands the reality and how this all winds up. But then he says, he says, many walk, many walk. Now, that's an important word for us to understand. There on your outline, the, the Greek word there is polis, but it can also be translated as mostly. Do you see that word, mostly? You want to underline that in the definition? Did I put that on your outline? Okay. You want to underline mostly or largely. That word, if, if Paul were saying three out of ten, that would not be the word that he uses. If you say six out of ten, that would be the word that you use. It's mostly, it's largely. It was the word that Jesus used when he said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is narrow and the way is small that leads to life and fewer those who find it, but the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to death and destruction and many are those who find it. That's the word, many. Uh, It's the word that Jesus used when he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they point to all the things that they did and he responds to them saying, depart from me, I never knew you. He never knew them. Paul is pointing to the church and he says, you need to follow the example of those who live this way. And the reason being is that many walk, many walk. And these would be in the church. And uh, they walk as warnings. It's also important, he says, he says in verse 19, 18 rather, he says, for many walk of whom I told you and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Interesting, I put the word there, they're enemies of the cross, and that word enemies means exactly, it means to be a hater, hostile, hating, opposing. So how are they enemies of the cross? They're in church. Now, keep in mind that when the Philippians got this letter, they just read it. So we've taken several weeks to break it apart, but they read this just a few minutes before. And if you were here, you'll remember back in chapter 2, where Paul used Jesus as the example and says that he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Do you remember that? And Jesus was the example of what it meant to sacrificially obey God. And so when he says that they are enemies of the cross, they, although they are in the church, are the exact opposite of those who would be sacrificially obedient to God and their lives are, are contrary to everything that the gospel teaches as far as following the Lord. So they would never in any way, uh, if Jesus were to come to them and say, would you deny yourself, follow me, you know, take up your cross and follow me, at the point where Jesus says deny yourself, that's where the conversation would end. They are enemies of the cross because their lives are the exact opposite of what it is that Jesus did for us. Sadly, he goes on, and in verse 19, he says, whose end is destruction. Whose end is destruction. 
Now it's important to remember that Paul is saying this weeping. It's breaking his heart, but he knows where this ends for these people who are in the church. Their lives are revealing uh, the, the truth about their spiritual nature, the truth about their spiritual walk. So when he says that their end is destruction, there's two ways of looking at that. I want to put uh, on the screen, destruction in the original language is apalia, and it means ruin or loss, destruction or waste. So there's two ways that that's commonly translated. The first way is that their lives, they're enemies of the cross by their lifestyle, um, and, and their end is destruction. And so some would look on at that and they'd say that means that they are unsaved. And others would look on and say, yes, but that same word can also mean at the end, waste. So they would say that Paul is weeping because although they were saved and really they lived their lives, you would say as enemies of the cross, they were saved. But when they step into eternity, they realize that they have wasted their entire life. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, how they do that. So how you determine that word. How do I determine it? Or how would I uh, interpret it? I hold that they're not really saved. That, and that, and that it's just revealing the truth about them. I hope I'm wrong. It's one of those times where I'd love to get to heaven and realize I was completely wrong. But that's the two ways of looking at it. Did that put you to sleep? All right, let's try this. So, 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 their lives reveal something about them. Uh, verse 19, it says, whose end is destruction. So what does it reveal? Whose God is their appetite. Um, go ahead and write this down. Their lives are, who are warnings reveal that their God is their own desires. One translation would translate it like this, their own emotions are their God. In, in our culture, we would say, you know, your heart is bad. Well, because that's where we point to as our emotions. They, in their culture, talked about their belly. So it was a phrase that we would say heart, they would say belly. And so they, they would be referring to their emotions. So if Jesus, again, were to say, you know, deny yourself, follow me, step out, trust me, and that's not their desires, well, it's always what they want over what Jesus wants. And that's revealing. It's very revealing as to the true condition of their spirit. So then the second thing that we would see is we're going to find that they take pride in the things that they should be ashamed. Uh, There in your outline, they take pride in the shameful things that they do. There was creeping into the church at that time the understanding, uh, or sadly uh, what was being excluded, when the Holy Spirit enters into you, it causes us to want to live holy lives. We don't always get it right, but we want to live holy lives. What was creeping into the church, not the Philippian church, some of the other churches, was the sense of um, everything is permissible, so no matter what came into the church, it was allowed, and nobody wanted to say anything, no matter if it was immoral or wicked or whatever, because we just wanted to be loving and accepting of everybody. So Paul writes to a church, the Corinthian church, and notice what he says and then evaluate, is that the exact opposite of how we do church today? Paul says, it's actually reported 
that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? In in our culture, we're doing the same thing. We are proud of how accepting we are of just about anything and everything. And Paul says you should be ashamed because this is the church and this is the gospel. And so we've embraced a Christianity that looks very different than what Paul was, was, was preaching. So it talks about um, you know, they've embraced those things. And then lastly, they live for this life only. They're in the outline, they set their minds on earthly things. The way that they live their lives reveals they're in church, but the, when you look at their lives, you realize you're living for now, this, this kingdom. So what do we do? Well, verse 20, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven from that which we also eagerly await for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we need to live as though we're citizens of heaven who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. That's a mouthful and maybe we'll talk about that later. But we're to live as citizens of heaven. So here, here's the question. Is there a test that we can take and evaluate if we are on the path of spiritual maturity or would we be like the people that Paul has just mentioned who he says their end is you know, destruction? Well, there is a test. And Peter is the one who gives the test. It's from Second Peter. I'm going to read this. And we, as we go through that, each of us needs to just evaluate where am I in this? Is this happening in my life? So, Second Peter, he says this. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, and I've underlined the word diligence, in your faith. So the first thing I need to ask myself, is there a diligence in my faith, an intentionality? Am I pressing forward? In your faith, supply moral excellence. Moral excellence. Am I leading a life that would be morally excellent. And uh, I need to evaluate that. In your moral excellence, knowledge. There's this growing in knowledge. And so are we doing that? Are we intentional about that? And in your knowledge, self-control. Self-control. That would be how we behave, and it would be self-control, the things that come out of our mouth. Now, I do need to confess that in my family... I am in charge of teaching the children to drive. Right now I have three children with learner's permits and I'm teaching all three of them. I want you to know that whatever comes out of your mouth when you're teaching your children to drive does not count. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Thank you. And I don't want no Mommy Dearest book being written later on either, wherever my kids are. Parents should not, we're going to move on, self, <laughs> self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and my persevering, and your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ 
For who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins, forgetting what, forgetting what it is that Jesus really did for us. Each of us needs to evaluate. Evaluate and then change where we need to change and become intentional because our lives are either the example or they're the warning. And we don't want our lives to be the warning. With that, I'm going to go ahead and and close in prayer. Did you find that at least interesting today? Good. All right, let's pray. We'll pick it up in chapter four next time. Father, we realize that we all find ourselves living like the warnings sometime. And yet, Lord, our heart, our intention is to live like the examples. And we pray today, Lord, as we've gone through and evaluated that your Holy Spirit speaking to us is illuminating. And Lord, not just illuminating to reveal, but illuminating so that we can get on the path and stay on the path to becoming everything that you want us to be. We do want to go towards spiritual maturity. We recognize, and Lord, you've already told us, we don't always get it right, but we want to get it right and we want to go forward. I pray that you empower each and every one of us. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.